Women are God's invisible army. Every day, every moment, countless women are making a difference by leading ministries. It's far past time for a new conversation about Christian women leaders. The question is not whether women should lead. The question is how women are leading today amidst the unique challenges they face because of their gender. I'm Haley Gray Scott, and this is Christian Curious. Each week, we tackle some of the hardest, most pressing questions facing Christians in the 21st century. Today, I'm talking with Taylor Meeskel about what it's like to be a female Christian leader. Taylor is currently serving as the interim youth minister at a cooperative Baptist church in North Carolina. She is a graduate of Texas A&M University and Denver Seminary and most recently completed a residency at UNC Hospitals in Chapel Hill for a total of five units in clinical pastoral education. Taylor has served as a leader and minister in care and connections, worship, youth, and hospital chaplaincy in the states of Colorado, Texas, and North Carolina. She's been married to her husband, Matt, for five years. Taylor, welcome to Christian Curious. Thanks. It's great to be here. I'm so excited to be talking about this topic uh, near and dear to my heart. I know it is. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about when you first experienced a calling to ministry? Yeah, you know, I... I really feel like there was a cumulative experience of three different things that happened in my life. Um, The first of that being when I was 13, I went to this conference um, and it was a a Christian conference and it was part of the denomination I was a part of at the time. And I remember listening to this 13-year-old boy on stage talking about how he was utilizing his faith to um, bring awareness to people about helping other kids that had cancer and uh, raised a lot of money and talked about what it meant to have um, faith during the middle of struggles in life. And I remember thinking, this guy is my age. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I can totally be utilizing my faith and how I love God and um, to share um, and care for other people. And so that was kind of like the first time for me. I remember they offered an opportunity that to stand on your chair during this conference if you felt like you had a call to to care for people in that way. And so I stood on my little chair and it was really nerve wracking. Um, I mean, to stand amongst all your peers when you're 13, you know, at the time. Right. Um, but I uh, that was kind of the first maybe initial time for me uh, to for this calling into ministry. Uh, the second was actually when I was in college. Um, I did not study anything having to do with ministry at all in college. Um, I was in my senior year and I kept getting, I was thinking about doing clinical counseling as a master's degree and going that route for a career. And I kept getting these, uh, Denver seminary, like pamphlets and stuff in the mail. And I remember thinking like, how do these people know who I am? Like I live in Texas and I don't even live in Colorado and I'm getting stuff in the mail, uh, from Denver seminary. Um, so I remember uh, talking to some of my friends about it and some mentors at the time and they were like, well, Taylor, I mean, it's something you've been praying about was for clarity of what is kind of this next step for you when it turns to your career. And maybe that's something to look at. Um, I knew that Denver seminary had a great, um, clinical counseling program. So I actually, Uh, When I was, I I went to Denver for a floral design competition because that was part of my degree at the time was doing horticulture and I had my own uh, floral design business. 
um, that I was doing and I had a day off and I was like, well, I'm already in Denver. I might as well just go check out the seminary. So I took a taxi from downtown Denver to, uh, the seminary, which is ironically not actually in Denver. Um, no, it's in yeah. Littleton. <laughs> it's in Littleton. Um, and I remember just this overwhelming peace being on the campus and I was outside just kind of looking, taking in the area and, I ran into the academic counselor at the time outside who had free time that day and gave me a, a complete tour. So it ended up being this just, um, I mean, it was a God thing for me of just affirmation. And the final third calling, if you will, was after I accepted and applied and accepted my um, time in seminary, I, a year and a half in, was in the clinical counseling program. They have in the program this uh, practicum experience you have before you do internship uh, with the clinic there on site. And they have like a week of training that you do before you are counseling uh, people that come to the clinic. And I remember going through this training and with a bunch of my peers at the time and thinking, this is not it. And all of them were like, this is it. Oh my gosh, this, I feel so confirmed. This is what I want to do. And I just remember bawling at the end of the last training day. I was like, I can't do this. Like, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, I need to be, I feel like the Lord is calling me into the church or into like caring for people in a different way than, um, in the counseling setting. Uh, and it, it felt like close to what I was being called to, but not, not totally it. Um, so, that was kind of the final affirmation for me. I was like, well, um, I should probably looking back at ministry. And so I ended up taking a job into ministry after that, uh, at that point. And the rest has been a quite the journey since then too. But that was some of my vocational aspect of calling, if you will. But, you know, the, the third part is really the clincher and would be the most, it seems to be the most, um, dramatic or the hardest step to imagine because, you know, in clinical work, there, there are a lot of females that do that work. And so you have a vision ahead of you of, of, you know, you have mentors and models of, you know, what you can become and what you can do with your life. But going into ministry, the, there are not that many role models to follow as a, as a woman. And so I, did that feel like a big leap of faith for you at the time? Oh, it absolutely did. I was so nervous and there was so much tension that I was going through at that time of, I felt I had never seen any other woman get an MDiv before at that point. I grew up um, in a denomination that didn't um, have women in leadership roles aside from working with children. And so I had my own wrestling that I had to go through, feeling this call to be in different leadership positions within ministry because I had never really seen that modeled. Um, and fortunately, I, the Lord had really been shaping and preparing my heart for that because I um, had several people in my life that kind of thrust me into leadership positions uh, along that journey. Um, I, it within ministry context uh, that I didn't know at the time that they saw all of these qualities and strengths and giftings within me um, and utilized their own uh, power and uh, experience and 
privilege, if you will, to uh, open the door and make way for me to utilize some of those giftings. Um, one of those was I, I worked at a, a camp um, and I did, I was asked to be on the leadership team to oversee um, the worship and uh, like Devo experience for campers and as well as counselors at this camp. And so, uh, and I just, all of those experiences really played into the helping me along to really take in the courage to walk into this calling. Um, I also, while I was in seminary, met with a lot of women that were already working in ministry um, that I had met at the time. And uh, I'll never forget one, one of the first conversations I had, I straight up told a woman pastor, I was like, I don't really know what I feel about women being pastors. And that she was so gracious because <laughs> <laughs> I was wrestling with that calling myself and she knew that. And I was trying to figure out what that meant for me. And she was like, well, you know, like, I just want to encourage you to, to continue to wrestle with that and to continue to dive into the word and um, to continue to have these conversations. And she, and she said, like, I'm happy to have these with you. And not, not many people encourage the wrestling with that and encourage the to live in the tension with that because there's something to be learned there. And I ended up writing a, one of my, um, my classes had a, a paper you had to write and you get to choose the topic on. So I did the topic on spiritual giftings and, uh, that kind of sealed the, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, I went into. Right. Because the the giftings, you know, you know, Mm -hmm. for listeners who may not know that the spiritual giftings are not gendered. Um, right. They're not assigned to gender. I mean, Ephesians 4 talks about, um, you know, the Lord distributing gifts, you know, pastor, teacher, you know, leader, all of these different gifts. And, you know, they they're not gendered. It's it's just based on, you know, be, being a believer. Um, you know, once you felt that calling and once you started to you know, go into ministry and take on leadership roles. Um, what challenges did you face? Hmm. You know, they weren't exactly what I thought they would be. Um, I, I think whenever we talk about women in ministry, we, um, assume that, or there's sometimes this assumption that women, uh, come in with like raging fists and want to be given specific roles and that sort of thing. And, that hasn't been my experience of trying to come in with a fist of, hey, I need this role because I have whatever these giftings. And um, it's more of, uh, I mean, I, I take the approach of egalitarianism where we come alongside women and men come alongside together to um, do life to do ministry. And um, I think when it comes to challenges that I encountered, I didn't realize how much uh, that um, culture plays a really big toll on things and how um, habits that have been formed with people um, have definitely impacted how the church does things too. Um, for example, uh, there's, I mean, I've been denied jobs before and been told because I've been a woman. And um, some of that, especially earlier on in some of my journey of, navigating being a woman in ministry. Um, and I, I say this too, knowing I'm still learning these things as well. 
Um, I, there's things that you learn about where some places that would be uh, good fits for me. So I can know, looking at um, the staff list, like knowing titles of people of, oh, well, there might be some tension of women being in certain roles here based on what I see on their website or based on looking into things before I go into interviews and that sort of thing now. But at the time, I, um, I, I kind of went, went in just wide-eyed of, hey, I have these giftings. I know I have this, some of these experiences, and I'm very passionate about this and kind of thought that that wouldn't be something to consider. But that, that's something that some churches you consider is, uh, is gender and how, how people respond to that. Um, and there was some hurt that I had to work through personally, and I have to check, too, whenever I'm encountering and talking with people of, um, hey, what's coming up for me? Is this like from my personal experience? Is this something that's like still um, or that's present in this conversation? Um, I think when it comes to just challenges and living out the calling um, is, I mean, people are messy. It's it's not easy to, to work with people in general um, because we, we have we come from different perspectives. We come from different experiences. We have different emotional responses to things. And that's just across the board. Like when you're dealing with people, um, it's going to be messy. So some of those challenges come because people bring their own experiences and their own upbringings and their own um, cultural surroundings with them in any conversation or things that you have. So those kind of experiences definitely have impacted um, me in living out the call that I feel like God has placed on my life. With a heart for the gospel and devotion to scholarly excellence and biblical authority, Denver Seminary prepares you to engage the needs of the world with the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of Scripture. Our online, on-campus, and hybrid education programs make it possible for you to earn a graduate degree or a certificate, or simply grow in your knowledge of the Bible. Learn more about Denver Seminary at denverseminary.edu. So you've, you have, you mentioned, you know, being turned away from jobs, you know, because Mm -hmm. of, you know, being female and, you know, the theological assumption is that, that women cannot be pastors, that women cannot have leadership roles within the church. Um, Are there other challenges related to your gender that, that you've encountered? Um. I think, and I'm, I can't say experience for like every woman, because I think every woman has their own experience, uh, when it comes to ministry or women in ministry. Um, but for me, I have to, I feel like I am constantly aware of my surroundings and ways of, I mean, we live in the day and age where there's so many people that are, um, coming out from, uh, like sexual, um, experiences from the church, which is just awful. And I, I feel like I, as a woman, have to constantly be aware of my surroundings with that, of make sure I'm not alone in a room or have open doors. And um, uh, those kind of things are things that I have to think about. Um, and I, really, I think anyone should be thinking about those things um, in general and make sure that there's some boundaries within whatever your scope would be. But that's something that I feel like as a woman, I do have to think about of um, a, a level of uh, security for myself, if that makes sense. That's absolutely 
you know, one of the big challenges that, you know, that I discovered whenever I was, you know, speaking with women leaders from around the world and wrote my first book on that um, is actually the, 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 the difficulties in working with the opposite gender and maybe even today with the same gender um, mm-hmm. because of the, you know, the sexual impropriety and the boundaries that have been crossed and making sure that our relationships are appropriate, that we maintain those boundaries is pretty tricky because in ministry, it's a very relational job. It's not, it's not like going into tech industry where you're working on something that is, you know, not relational based. I mean, ministry is very relational. It's very interactive. And so maintaining those boundaries boundaries can be kind of tricky because you don't want to completely shut people off. But on the other hand, you don't want to open yourself up to, um, to any kind of, you know, situation that may compromise your integrity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those are kind of things that I feel like I have to be aware of. And um, some of that's just because of I am in a very relational job where I'm dealing with and interacting with a lot of people. And um, but also just boundaries is uh, a stepping stone for a value of mine, which is respect. And I want to respect people for who they are as human beings and uh, vice versa. Like I would hope and and desire the same sort of respect as a human being. And in order to do that and to care for people well, um, I think having those boundaries and being aware of, of spaces and surroundings and um, holding confidentiality with uh, conversations that are within pastoral care context and, um, and making sure that if, for me, if it's conversations with those that are with the opposite sex, that I um, have protocols in place with that and people that are um, accountability for those kind of pastoral care interactions. Um, Yeah. Those are things that challenges that you have to face, but really um, uh, has only increased uh, as years and years go on. Yeah. So, you know, if you had any advice for women who may feel called to ministry, because, you know, even in today's age where, you know, women really do have unparalleled opportunities. I mean, we've been, we have more opportunities now than we ever have in, in human history. And sure. yet we still, we still lack the role models at times. And we still have challenges that are related to being a woman. Um, so if a woman or a young woman or a girl even is at, th- at 13, feeling that call to ministry, what advice, what pieces of advice would you give them? Hmm. That's a great question. I think this is a twofold way for me. Um, surround yourselves with, um, if you know, if you are a woman in ministry, if you're someone that wants to go into ministry and you're a woman, um, I think it's important to have mentors that have walked that walk, be able to pour into you. And, and if you don't know people that are in that field to find people that you can talk to about that. I mean, I was in that same boat of, I didn't know any women pastors, women leaders within ministry. And when I um, went to seminary, I was like, I need to find people that can talk to me about some of these things that I've been thinking and experiencing and feel this call into ministry. Um, and, And that was really helpful for me to have 
um, a mentoring like process uh, for that time, as well as even now, there's still people that mentor me and in my walk um, and call, Uh, as well as I think it's important to have a group of people that you meet with uh, and, and do and understand that maybe not necessarily are in your job at the time, but uh, might work in similar fields as you. So there's um, a group of women that I meet with um, virtually once a month, and it just brings life and um, understanding in ways that uh, they, they work in different various aspects of ministry as well. And um, it how, really helps. How did you find that group? Uh by talking and engaging with people and finding connections and um, finding mutual friends and I mean really just engaging with people and asking, hey, like I, I need I need a group of people where I can meet up with regularly to just check in and see how things are going. And sometimes that's by asking in that way and sometimes denominations help with that too, depending on what um, denomination one may be affiliated with. Uh, I know um, there's great resources with that as well. Uh, the last thing I have with that is I think it's really important if you are someone that is already in ministry or if you're someone that's trying to, to walk into ministry to also pour into women um, younger than you and or maybe that are um, not as far along in the process as you because it's the full, full-rounded approach, right? Um, when, you're, when you care about the people caring into you and a part of like our call into being as Christians is to care about other people and to make way the make the pathway for others um, as well. And if you are helping someone along to, to almost like take the positions that you are in, like that's, that's the goal, right? Is we're not going to be here forever. So how can we make a pathway for those that are going to be caring for people after us or, maybe alongside us, um, keeping that, um, that three, that thread of mentorship going. Um, it's just so important that 360 model, if you will. So, you know, those are three great pieces of advice that you gave. Number one is to search out for mentors who are going to be able to, um, speak, speak life into your calling and speak life into your spiritual gifts and provide you with the affirmation and maybe even the, uh, the direction that you need, you know, in order to be able to, to fulfill your calling. And, you know, the second is to look out for a community. You know, that is a really difficult thing that I have found in my research with young adults is, you know, finding that sense of community, because we think that we have a sense of community because we have, you know, so many followers or so many friends on Facebook but yeah, it's the, an illusion. It is an, it's a total illusion and it's not real community. And so looking for community and being able to enter into a community, you know, is a significant challenge and it's, but it's so vital to thriving in ministry. And then finally, um, you know, turning around and nurturing the next generation. I mean, that is also important as well. So you're not just receiving, you know, you know, in, you're not just receiving um, affirmation, but you're also providing it to the next generation. And so, you know, there's it that combats the the tendency. There's there's a lot of research done on women who 
um, they get into leadership positions and then there's a principle of scarcity, a scarcity mentality, like, oh, if I nurture other women or I mentor other women, then they're going to take my job or they're going to take my place. But um, Mm -hmm. knowing that we have a God of of abundance and that there is room for everyone at the table um, Mm -hmm. and to be able to to nurture that next generation is is so important. Um, I think those are great pieces of advice. Um, You know, as we wrap up the show, I wanted to here, what do you, what do you love best about what you're doing now? Yeah, that's a great question too. I, um, so right now I'm an interim youth pastor, which I've had a lot of different roles in ministry and chaplaincy context alike. So, but what I love about what I'm doing currently with this interim role is I am working with change. And one of the things with youth is youth go through a lot of change and a lot of transition. And I, um, I enjoy getting to walk along that process. One of my other values is, uh, development, which in ministry terms is discipleship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I love getting to just hear what people are understanding and learning about their walk with God. Um, or maybe what they, if they even, what they want to know about God, if God isn't even a part of their walk right now. Um, I, going back to that 360 kind of mentality of, from the last question, um, it also gives me an opportunity to pour into the younger generation, um, and to the next leaders. And I mean, I would argue some of the leaders today as well. Um, (laughs) and I just love getting to hear their hearts and their stories and, um, how they think of and how they care for people in unique and profound, profound ways. Um, it's just, it's been cool. It's been cool to see how, um, how resilient this next generation is because of things that they've had to gone through, they've gone through, um, that most of us have not had to experience like the pandemic in the middle of, uh, school growing up. Mm -hmm. Like I can't imagine having to have gone through, multiple years of this virtual, non-virtual mask, no mask, um, types of change when it comes to making friends in doing school. Like, uh, I, m- it would have been a very different experience for me and the level of resiliency I've seen from students and awareness of mental health and awareness of, of caring for people. Um, uh, I'm excited for where that will, how that will play out as their future unfolds. That's a very optimistic view of of our future, and I totally agree about the resiliency. Um, Taylor, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Gray Scott. Visit our website at www.christiancurious.com. If you've missed any part of the show or you want to find more shows or find out more about us, that's www.christiancurious.com. Stay curious. Stay curious.